Hello, beautiful soul. Welcome to Break the Cycle with Dr. Marielle, a podcast where I bring in some of my favorite healers from across the world to talk about how we transition from intergenerational trauma to intergenerational abundance. I'm your host and trauma-responsive holistic psychologist, Dr. Marielle Bouquet. Join me and my fellow healers as we break the cycle. I welcome you to this episode featuring a conversation that I want to extend beyond the conversations that we've had in previous episodes, namely the one that I had around shedding childhood trauma with Nate Postlewaite and the concept of self-betrayal with Maria Sosa. These were two concepts and two experiences that really resonated with all of you. And I got a lot of feedback about expanding the conversation just a bit further. So I'd like to offer an opportunity for us to actually do that on this podcast by way of me bringing in some concepts related to childhood trauma that are more along the lines of what we all probably should know in reference to intergenerational trauma that is situated in a person's childhood and the ways in which these kinds of experiences tend to then transcend into a person's adult life and then into their children's lives and then their adult lives and then their children's lives and so on and so forth. So I'd like to take a moment to first introduce how I want to break out this concept of childhood trauma. I first want to take us through the ACEs questionnaire. That is the Adverse Childhood Experiences questionnaire that is pretty popularized, I would say, these days. But some people aren't really familiar with what exactly is being asked inside of the Adverse Childhood Experiences questionnaire, the ACEs. And so I'd like to break it down offer us an opportunity to really think through what is being offered here as a conversation starter and then transition from there into a part two, which will be another episode where I'll talk about some of the consequences of childhood trauma in our adult lives. So it's going to be an expanded version of what I had been talking to Nate Possewaite about and what I had been talking to Maria Sosa about in reference to the modeling of self-betrayal, but also the ways in which some of those experiences tend to start situating themselves in early childhood. So I hope you're sitting tight. I hope you can remember as always that your breath is your anchor. Hold on to it as much as you need. If right here and right now offers you an opportunity to just situate your breath and deepen it a bit, go ahead and do that. Remember that your breath is your guide. Allow it to center you as you listen. And be sure to stay tuned at the end of this episode for a bonus sound bath meditation. Now let's get started. Childhood trauma, which sometimes you'll hear being interchanged with developmental trauma, with early adversity and other kinds of concepts that are thrown out there to really help us to facilitate a conversation around what happened early on in life to this person 
that culminated in the symptoms that we're seeing right now. What we know right now is that childhood trauma tends to be an experience that can really shift a person to the point where their very core, the very essence of who they are, becomes reconfigured. And some people even tend to lose their core self or their true self because trauma got in the way. Trauma is one of those experiences that when it happens earlier on in life, like very early, let's say maybe like birth age or even like in the prenatal years on to age five, it can have an even broader, wider, deeper impact than maybe if it were to happen sometime around a person's late teens, let's say. That's not to say that one person's trauma might be less than another's. It's just that what we tend to see is that the younger the age, the deeper the wound. But trauma holistically tends to be an experience that can really break apart a person's life. And this tends to happen in reference to how the person sees themselves, in reference to how the person sees others, and in reference to how the person sees the world. Usually what's at the core of how they see all three of these dimensions of themselves is a lack of safety. There's a disruption in the perception of safety that the person had about life. When they came into this world and they believed that the world could be a safe place where they could be protected, and then they have an experience that completely shatters their world and makes them realize that some people can't be trusted, some environments are genuinely not safe, and there are experiences and people that they need to guard themselves from, their world kind of gets uprooted. And a lot of that starts within the childhood experiences that we call adverse experiences. We have this questionnaire that burgeoned a number of years ago. Now we're talking decades. And it's been modified here and there to be a bit more fitting to some of the feedback that the researchers of the questionnaire have received over the years. Because the initial feedback that the researchers had received was that the questionnaire was not inclusive of a lot of experiences around trauma. So I want you to hold that and commit that to your mind and understand that that is a part of what we're also highlighting here so that if an experience that I'm about to get into does not fit the experience that either you know for yourself or you know for another person that you care about that has undergone trauma, that this isn't an exclusive list of what constitutes as childhood trauma, but it was simply the list that allowed us to have an initial conversation on what developmental trauma is and was and how it can disrupt the psychological safety and groundedness that a person can carry throughout their lives. Now, the Adverse Childhood Experience Questionnaire, which I'll call ACEs from now on just for ease of speaking and, you know, because I'm guessing that you already know that it's the ACEs. It's a questionnaire that's a self-report. What that means is that you take the questionnaire, typically from a clinician who's 
probably doing an evaluation on you, a whole clinical evaluation. And you fill out the questionnaire, which starts asking you about the first 18 years of your life. You're supposed to give information about what happened in those 18 years. That's why I really like the question, what happened to you? I love the fact that Oprah and Bruce Perry's book actually is titled What Happened to You? Because a lot of what we need to be asking children and adults is what happened to them, not what is wrong with them. So I really love that we have a more global title that has burgeoned around the area of trauma where people can start to really just edit and reconfigure their language around trauma. But I digress. <laughs> Let's get back to ACEs. I don't know if any of you have actually taken the questionnaire or if perhaps you have read it, if you're a clinician and you've actually been trained to use the questionnaire within your uh, work with clients. But um, I think it's really important for us to really dive into what the questionnaire is asking folks whenever people are filling it out. It gives us an, a good impression of the ways in which the questionnaire can operate as a conversation starter, or at least it can operate as a place where we can start to understand and unpack what has happened that is trauma-centered and maybe try and figure out, especially from an intergenerational perspective, what the generational ties are to that type of trauma. So the questionnaire asks, Within the first 18 years of your life, the very first thing is, did a parent or an older adult that was in your household often swear at you, insult you, put you down, or humiliate you? So it's really getting at the ways in which a child would have experienced emotional turmoil, emotional suffering, or verbal abuse. So it's the psychological wounding that is more of the emotional abuse type of experiences and then the verbal abuse that of course has a psychological impact. Then it gets into some more uh, physical experiences, starting with whether or not you've been physically hurt by an individual that was an adult while you were a child. Then it gets into whether or not a person that was five years older than you at that time approached you in a sexual way. If a person created an environment where you felt sexually exploited or just uneasy, if your body was either touched or if you were spoken to in a way that was sexualized or hypersexualized, that any of those things fall under the category of having been approached in a more sexual way rather than it just being physical injury that didn't have that sexual undertone. Then it transitions into whether or not there were moments in which you felt invalidated. So it doesn't necessarily say invalidated within the questionnaire itself. I'm kind of paraphrasing here, but it starts talking about whether or not you felt loved or you felt important within your household if people felt like you were special and not like special, like in the more kind of narcissistic spectrum kind of special, but more so like, did you feel like you were seen? Were you heard? Were you appreciated? 
those kinds of ways in which a person can feel special and especially a child because they're formalizing their sense of identity and sense of self-worth. And so to be seen and to be heard is something that is incredibly important for any child. And then it asks how often or did you feel it often, right? Because these are yes or no questions. So it's formalized in a way to answer yes or no for a reason. Did you feel that often or did you not? Then it gets into some of what we start categorizing as experiences of neglect. So a lot of what we talk about in terms of childhood trauma falls within usually the categories of childhood abuse or childhood neglect, although I'd like to, especially from an intergenerational perspective and especially from a perspective that I'd like to say has a wider lens, I'd like to expand beyond those two concepts. But the questionnaire itself then does transition into neglect. And neglect as being perhaps not eating enough or having enough to eat, not having clean clothes to wear, not having someone that would have been protecting you from harm, especially if they knew harm was happening. So those are concepts of neglect where the child is left to fend to themselves and to to take care of themselves in some ways, or if they're not able to, then the taking care of is just not not happening, not being done. Then it transitions into whether or not there were parents in the home or caretakers in the home that had some level of ongoing intoxication. And if they were intoxicated, if they were intoxicated to the extent that they could not take care of you. So were, were they inhibited in some ways perceptually because they simply uh, just had too much substances within their bodies and weren't able to really capture how present they needed to be for you, for your siblings. Then it starts getting into more kind of relationship-centered questions. Were your parents separated? That can be experienced and perceived as highly traumatic for a lot of children. Were they divorced? Even more so, especially when we start taking into context the full extent of what happens inside of a divorce. Custody battles, battles about money, um, assets, battles that really centralize what has happened in the relationship. Maybe there was cheating. Maybe um, something else transpired like actual domestic violence. So many things, right? And so all of that is situated in the category of was there separation or divorce? And typically, children tend to have a front row seat to these experiences. And so the trauma is is prominent and very present. Then it starts talking about the actual domestic violence in greater detail. Were people pushed? Were they grabbed? Were they slapped? Did they have something thrown at them? Was there violence, basically, is the question. Was there violence that was physical in the home that you bear witness to? Was there something that felt just completely out of the norm? Out of the norm, even if it was verbal and would still fall within the category of violence. 
then we start getting into the conversation around whether or not someone had a representation of mental illness within the household. And typically that tends to impact the entire household. The same goes for physical illness, right? And so we want to know, was there something that happened within the home on an ongoing basis that we can situate in the area of health or mental health? And then the very last question is whether or not someone has been incarcerated. Now, that last question is very interesting, right? Because it actually makes you wonder, imprisonment is a very traumatic experience for families, very traumatic disruption at that level is something that a lot of families have trouble getting over. However, if we start widening the lens, we start understanding that there are so many other ways in which families are disrupted and separated or oppressed upon by systems, by larger systems, that can also be incredibly traumatic. There's immigration and separations that happen as a result of immigration. There are separations that happen by way of families being introduced into the landscape of foster care and adoption, anything that is child protective services that causes an enormous traumatic experiences for families and can actually make families even more vulnerable to added trauma. There are ways in which families are separated by way of the experience of loss of income and how a loss of income in a household can make it so that families have to separate or families have to give away their children. And th these are experiences that are also fairly traumatic, right? And, I, and I'm only naming three of the hundreds of iterations of these types of experiences that are also very central to how a person can suffer at this early age in life. So when I say that the ACEs is a conversation starter, what I mean by that is that us as clinicians or individuals that are taking this questionnaire, it might be really important to just take a step back from the questionnaire after every question is answered and just think, is there anything else? What else happened? What else is notable? What else pierced my soul? What else really left a, an experience of brokenness in my heart? What else disjointed my family? What else was there that carries a lot of weight in how I carry myself throughout this life emotionally that I think deserves to be on the pages of this questionnaire? And I always urge people to write it in. And I always urge myself to take a step back as a clinician and think about what is not being said, what could have been left out. Is there a place where I need to expand with a client? And, and to do so, of course, with the utmost care because this can really break a person open and make them feel incredibly raw and vulnerable. And so it can be um, an experience that if it's not tended to with the utmost care, can it can actually be very debilitating. So it is very, very important to, to hold that into consideration. However, I do love the idea that we have something that we can hold on to like the ACEs that can offer an opportunity to start the conversation and that it is already structured for all of us. But 
I also like the idea of not utilizing it as the only place where we can centralize a person's narrative, that we can also expand upon it beyond this. So I think I've outlined just about everything that I wanted to say about the ACEs for now. I do want to get back into concepts of the ACEs in later episodes in reference to intergenerational trauma more concretely. But I did want to offer an opportunity within this podcast for an unpacking of such an essential tool that has incredible flaws, but still has some utility. And I wanted to utilize that as a part one of a two-part episode, the second of which will be in the upcoming week, where I want to really centralize the conversation around childhood trauma and how it manifests into adult-related symptoms in our lives. So now that we have an understanding of how do we get into that space where we're talking about childhood trauma being even a part of a person's life, we start with the ACEs, we expand upon the ACEs, we figure it out, and then we transition into, and what is it doing now? How is it showing up? How is the pain showing up in your day-to-day life right now? And how can we make it better? I hope you enjoyed this episode and the expansion upon the concept of childhood trauma, the deep dive into the ACEs questionnaire, and I hope that it primed you for the upcoming episode where we're going to be taking a deeper dive into how some of these symptoms tend to surface from what happened in the past. Let me know what your thoughts are in the comments and also let me know if there are any aspects of childhood trauma that aren't being named in the ACEs questionnaire that I didn't name in this podcast episode that you believe need to have space in the conversation. We honor that as well. And whenever we're talking about trauma, our nervous system registers it and it can make us feel so uneasy. So I want to offer an opportunity for us to dissolve some of the stress and tension that could be stored in your mind and body and bring in a soothing practice of sound bath meditation. If you're willing and capable, and if you wish to participate, then snuggle into your seat, lower your eyes, and take a deep breath in.
take one final breath in as you release this practice. Come back into your mind and body. When you're ready, open your eyes. Remember that no matter where you are in your healing journey, you have an opportunity today to break the cycle. For weekly coping tips, you can sign up to my newsletter and follow me on social at Bouquet. And I'm going to be having some courses that are going to be coming up. And so if you want to be placed on the wait list, then you can head over to drmariellebouquet.com, click on courses, and hopefully we get a chance to work together. Take care of that beautiful soul of yours, and I'll catch you at the next episode. Thank mm-hmm. you.